risks are rising at a Ukrainian nuclear plant, the head of the UN's atomic watchdog says. Matthew Pope Big Victoria Kim Carly Olson Lara Jakes The Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency, Rafael Mariano Grossi, is set to visit the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in southern Ukraine on Wednesday. Before his visit, he detailed his concerns for the facility, which has been shelled several times since Russian troops seized it last March. Here are highlights from the interview. What is the purpose of the visit? Mr. Grossi said one purpose was to talk to management and consolidate the permanent presence of IAEA inspectors who first arrived there last September. Russia's state-owned nuclear company, Rosatom, has taken over the management of the plant. Rosatom is trying to force plant operatives and engineers to sign contracts with it rather than with Ukraine's state nuclear company. Mr. Grossi said he did not know whether Rosatom intended to connect the plant to Russia's grid. He also said it was imperative that the nuclear power plant had enough water for its cooling systems. The Ukrainian authorities have said in recent weeks that Russian forces, who control a dam downstream from the plant on the Dnipro River, were allowing the water level to fall in the reservoir that feeds the nuclear facility. What is the situation at the plant? Recent reports, including from some Ukrainian officials, suggest that Ukraine could launch a counteroffensive in the south of the country in the coming weeks. That could mean an escalation of fighting in the region of the nuclear plant. Mr. Grossi did not comment on the reports but said that inspectors at the plant had reported increased military activity in the area. There is a quite obvious increase in the number of troops on both sides and military equipment, he said. Our teams are also observing and hearing and seeing more military activity, including detonations, regular, almost permanent. He said that the increased activity most definitely increased the risk at the plant. Is the IAEA still seeking to establish a safety zone around the plant? Ukrainian officials have said that Russia effectively blocked the plan to establish a safety and security zone around the plant because it would almost certainly involve their withdrawal. Mr. Grossi said that he would never give up on the plan and that he was consulting with all sides. We are refocusing the effort in the sense that we are talking less about a zone and more about establishing protection, which means that we are trying to agree on a certain number of principles and commitments that both sides will have to agree with, he said. Does he have enough international backing? Mr. Grossi warned the IAA's Board of Governors recently against complacency, urging the members to be mindful of the perils facing the plant. It's luck, he said, could run out. He said on Tuesday that he was getting closer and closer to achieving the right level of international backing and an agreement on protecting the plant. There have been moments where some have had questions, but I see now a growing, very sustained trend in favor of protecting the plant, he said. He singled out the European Union and China as being clear about this. Weaponizing a nuclear power plant, targeting a nuclear power plant, sabotaging a nuclear power plant is a terrible idea, he said. What is the historical context of the crisis? Mr. Grossi said that the crisis was without precedent in civilian nuclear history. He said the way this situation was managed was important, particularly at a time when China, Brazil, India and countries in Eastern Europe and elsewhere are seeking to develop their nuclear industries. 
Explosions shook Melitopol in southern Ukraine early on Wednesday, the latest to hit the Russian-occupied city that Kyiv has identified as a priority to retake. A series of blasts occurred around 5.30 a.m., Vladimir Rogov, a pro-Russian occupation official, said on the Telegram messaging app. A train depot was damaged and parts of the power grid were hit, he said, adding that there were no casualties. The Ukrainian government did not immediately comment on the explosions in Melitopol, which has often been the target of sabotage missions, targeted assassinations and long-range missile strikes aimed at undermining Russian control of the city. The exiled Ukrainian mayor of the city, Ivan Fedorov, also said that several loud explosions had been heard across the city before dawn and that smoke was rising from near a train depot. Melitopol, at the crossroads of two major highways and a rail line linking Russia to the Crimean Peninsula and other occupied parts of southern Ukraine, is an important strategic gateway. Russia seized it early in its invasion, last year, and Ukrainian officials have said that recapturing it would enable their forces to cut off Russian troops in Crimea from those in eastern Ukraine. Military analysts and Ukrainian officials have said that an anticipated spring counteroffensive by Kyiv's forces would likely try to recapture territory in the south, including Melitopol, which is about 40 miles south of the current front line in the Zaporizhia region. Explosions in and near the city are common, many attributed to Ukrainian partisans working behind Russian lines. In the past week, Mr. Fedorov said, a substation was blown up in nearby Fedorivka and several explosions were reported near Russian barracks. On Thursday, a blast injured a police officer, according to Mr. Rogov. Mr. Fedorov said on Telegram this week that Russians had intensified crackdowns in the city after each attack, punishing residents for pro-Ukraine statements and organizing trials. The State of the War A new nuclear threat President Vladimir Putin of Russia said he would be able to position nuclear weapons in Belarus by the summer, a claim that analysts said was likely bluster but which underscored his willingness to use the specter of nuclear conflict to pressure the West. Restoring a giant plane Ukraine plans to rebuild the colossal Maria cargo plane, a symbol of pride that was destroyed in the first days of the war. But critics say there are far more pressing needs. Heroes or criminals As thousands of Russian ex-prisoners fight and die in Ukraine, honoring their memory is becoming a patriotic imperative back home. But some committed crimes their old neighbors cannot forget. More than 4,300 Ukrainian children, many of them orphaned, have been forcibly deported to Russia or Russian-occupied Ukraine, a top Ukrainian official said on Tuesday, adding to reports that have prompted an arrest warrant for President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia. Since Moscow's invasion in February 2022, the Russian authorities have announced with fanfare the transfer of thousands of Ukrainian children to Russia to be adopted and become citizens, the New York Times reported, in October. On state-run television, officials offer teddy bears to new arrivals, who are portrayed as abandoned children being rescued from war. Ukrainian officials have documented 4,390 Ukrainian children who are orphans, semi-orphans or deprived of parental care and have been forcibly moved, Irina Vereshchuk, a deputy prime minister in charge of the reintegration of formerly occupied territories, said on Ukrainian television on Tuesday, according to the Ukraine Forum news agency. 
Ms. Vereshchuk said Moscow had been shameless about its abduction of Ukrainian children and Russian families proudly flaunt those they have adopted. Ms. Vereshchuk added that Ukraine was keeping the International Criminal Court apprised of such deportations, sharing information obtained by Ukrainian intelligence and the prosecutor's office. She said that Ukraine was relying on pressure from the international community to bring to justice those who commit the crime of genocide against our children. Some sources say that number is likely much higher. Children of War, a Ukrainian government-run website that tracks reports of children who have been killed, wounded, deported or gone missing during the war, said that more than 19,500 Ukrainian children had been deported since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine began and that just 327 had been returned. A United States-backed report published in February found that the Russian government was keeping at least 6,000 Ukrainian children in camps in Russian territory, some of which are holding children before putting them up for adoption in Russia. It cited rushed adoptions, transferring children across international borders and prolonged custody without express consent from guardians as possible violations of the Geneva Conventions. Days later, Mr. Putin, ignoring widespread condemnations of human rights abuses, said that more Russian families wanted to adopt Ukrainian children. Two weeks ago, the International Criminal Court issued an arrest warrant that included Mr. Putin and his Commissioner for Children's Rights, saying that they bore individual criminal responsibilities for the abductions and deportations. With billions of dollars in weapons, the West has sought to give Ukraine the upper hand in its war with Russia. But the dizzying array of arms headed to the battlefield could make it hard for troops to tell friends from foes. So the U.S. Army has come up with a new training tool seemingly designed for the conflict, a set of playing cards with pictures of 52 different NATO-made tanks, armored personnel carriers, trucks, artillery pieces and other weapon systems, plus two jokers. The idea, said Major Andrew Harshbarger, a spokesman for the Army's Training and Doctrine Command, is to enable soldiers to quickly identify enemy equipment and distinguish the equipment from friendly forces. The Pentagon has issued similar decks in the past to help forces familiarize themselves with elements of warfare over a hard-fought game of spades, hearts or poker. Each card has a picture of a weapon system, along with its name, the country where it is manufactured, its export destinations, and its main armament. Earlier decks have featured Chinese, Russian, and Iranian military equipment. The idea goes back to at least World War II, when a pack showed fighter planes used by allies and adversaries. Playing cards depicting the U.S. government's most-wanted Iraqi fugitives distributed during the American-led invasion in 2003 famously featured Saddam Hussein as the ace of spades. In a statement, Major Harshbarger did not specifically say the new cards were aimed at helping with Ukraine's fight against Russia. But he said they could be used across military services and at all levels up the chain of command and focused on NATO equipment that has proliferated to non-NATO countries. Nowhere in the world is that more pertinent now than in Ukraine, where NATO states and allies have flooded the battle zone over the last year with an estimated $68 billion in commitments for weapons and military aid, the vast majority of that from the United States. Since the Russian invasion in February 2022, Ukraine has become the world's third-largest arms importer, according to the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute. Many of the weapon systems shown in the new deck have either been sent to Ukraine in the last year or are being used to train Ukrainian troops. 
some are still under consideration for donation by NATO allies intent on Russia's retreat. There is no apparent hierarchy of importance in the deck. The German-made Jeopard anti-aircraft gun, at least three dozen of which Berlin has sent to Ukraine, is the seven of spades. The six of clubs is the potent M142, HIMARS system, an American mobile launching pad for guided missiles that helped Ukraine claw back territory from Russia last summer. Francis Caesar Howitzer is the two of hearts. Most, but not all, of the face cards feature American systems, the Bradley Fighting Vehicle, the Queen of Hearts, the M1 Abrams Tank, the King of Clubs, and M113 Armored Personnel Carrier, the Ace of Spades. One of the jokers is the Stinger shoulder-fired missile that is manufactured by the United States, Germany, and Turkey. But some of the cards may unintentionally tip the hand of states that have tried to be opaque about the material they are sending. The Jack of Hearts, for example, is an American-made UH-60 Black Hawk helicopter, one of which was, recently revealed, to be in the possession of Ukraine's military intelligence services. But the Biden administration has not disclosed that it is sending Black Hawks to the war, nor have other countries that have bought them, which, according to the cards, include Bahrain, Egypt, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates and, before the Taliban seized the government in 2021, Afghanistan. Similarly, France reportedly remains undecided on whether to send Leclerc's, its main battle tanks, to Ukraine. The Leclerc is the eight of hearts in the new deck. The cards will be printed over the next month, and officials said it's expected they will be made available to American, NATO, and Ukrainian troops. The Ukrainians are likely to need them the most as they slug through not just a fog of war, but also a menagerie of foreign weapon systems, some of which they are still learning to use. The cards could also help American and NATO troops who are responsible for receiving weapons from around the world and shipping them into Ukraine. Christopher Skaluba, a senior Pentagon strategy and force development official during the Obama administration, said he knew of no previous deck of cards solely of NATO weapons and that it could prove helpful not only to troops on the front lines and in logistics hubs, but also to officials in Western capitals deciding what systems to send to Ukraine. It was impressive that Ukrainian forces have already absorbed the unfamiliar weaponry, he said, and as more complex systems are sent to the battlefield, this seems like a super fun way to recognize that effort and that success. I'd love to have a pack for myself, said Mr. Skaluba, now the director of the Transatlantic Security Initiative at the Atlantic Council in Washington.